The Drake FM Podcasting Hub presents the Ask Lawyer Bill Podcast with Bill Jones and Scott Jones, attorneys at law. Thanks for downloading. Now here's Lawyer Bill. All right, and welcome to another exclusive Ask Lawyer Bill Podcast. With me is Christopher Scott Jones today. Uh, we are recording this on Friday, St. Patty's Day, so the Tigers have not played yet. They're still in the tournament. Scott, who do you have in your brackets to win the whole thing? Well, it depends if it's a money bracket or a hopeful bracket. Obviously, in one bracket, I have the Tigers going, which we talked about this. It's a perfect scenario. You could have Memphis plays or plays Tennessee, then has to play Kentucky, then has to play Bama, who we already played, but then could wind up playing Kansas for the whole thing to get retribution. All right, so by the time this thing comes out, we'll find out if you're a genius or an idiot. Uh, I have uh, my thoughts on it, but I'll remain silent. As a baseball guy, who and not really a basketball guy, who did you have yours on, your bracket? Uh, so I've got Ukla winning. I'm not a basketball fan, but I've got Ukla winning the whole thing. Ukla. Ukla, UC. Oh, UCLA. LA. Yeah, UCLA. I've got them winning the whole shebang, so we'll have to see. Your pronunciation is the equivalent to our dad's joke. Yeah, that, it, that's a dad, a dad joke. joke. It's a dad joke, Ukla. All right, so uh, – First off, we want to tell you about a will package special that we're going to be running. We generally only run this in December, but we decided since Drake Digital has been so nice and given us uh, free reign to do these podcasts, we kind of want to reward those of you who are out there listening. So, Scott, tell them about it. Yeah, so normally a single will package is $600 or estate planning. A uh, reciprocal, so husband, wife, couple, usually 1100 But if you call through the end of the month, through the 31st, and say you heard it on Drake Digital, we're going to give you a single for 400 and a couple reciprocal package for 750 But you have to say Drake Digital. Now, you don't have to come in by the 31st, but you have to call and reserve your appointment by the 31st in order to qualify for that package. So Scott and I have been trying to come up with some new topics. We've got guests that we're going to have in here, but we've got some equipment that we still have to tune in so we can have a guest on here. Until then, uh, we decided we're going to go over some topics as we're working on this. And one that is near and dear to our hearts and it's currently in the media is the Second Amendment. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to give you a brief kind of history of uh, how we got here, where we are now, and then Scott and I are going to talk a little bit about some of these executive orders uh, that President Biden is putting out, and also give you an opinion as to why we think you're going to see more cases and the Second Amendment continue uh, to come up in in your news cycle. Uh, So any opening thoughts before we start out there, Christopher? I just think, you know, as the average, every even as an attorney who's familiar with the law, gun laws are confusing. Uh, there's a federal level, there's state levels. If you have a carry permit in one state, maybe you can carry in another state, maybe you can't. There, there's a lot there. Well, and it's even more confusing now, and, and we're going to get to that. So let me take mm-hmm. you back to uh, Congress, July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence, uh, we've all heard it. We studied it in school. But one of the lines that somehow sometimes gets lost, it says, 
Uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So most everybody's heard that. We, we talk about that quite often, but it's the next sentence. In order to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. They derive their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, so whenever your government starts messing up, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute no, new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers uh, in such forms, blah, 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 other words. The point is, one of the second or third lines in there talks about these rights are given to us by the government. And if and when the government gets to a point that they start to infringe upon our rights, it's our rights to rise up and, uh, and either change the government, which we try and do peacefully and which we have done uh, peacefully for, for so many hundred years. We do that on election day. If we don't like what we're dealing with, we vote. But Congress, when they signed this Declaration of Independence, they built in this idea that governments can go awry. The reason that they built that in is because they had just seen a government go awry, where you had, you had the English... Uh, oppressing us. You had the English taxation without representation, and folks had to gather up arms and fight against them. I, I love the, by the way, during that period of time, the the movie The Patriot. If you go back and look at it, there's a quote. They're talking about King George, and uh, uh, the Mel Gibson character stands up and says, Why well, should trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? And I think that's they put this in place specifically for that, is to make sure that no tyrant ever stood stand in that place. Absolutely. So fast forward, when we start doing amendments to the Constitution of the United States, well, uh, Congress gets together and they first do these ten amendments, and the the first one is um, uh, free speech and religious freedoms, and we'll get, we're going to get to that in another podcast. But today we're going to talk about the second amendment. And that is a well-regulated militia being necessary to, to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So as attorneys, what we do is we study language. So the, the line in there that says a well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So there's been two basic questions that constitutional uh, authors have grappled with when they deal with this question. The first is, is the militia clause tied to gun ownership? So in other words, do you have to be in the militia in order to to own a firearm. That's always been a question that people have debated, and I, I would say that it's just recently been answered. The second question that people generally have with the Second Amendment is the right of the people to keep and bear arms. What does that mean? Uh, because I, I've, I hunt, 
but I've never, I don't think that I've ever bored, bared arms against a deer. Well, I, look, and I go back just to think about what you said. So, I mean, I guess modern day times, you know, back in the day, this comes down to the, it feels like an old constitutional law class because this is language used, like you said, you focus on the language. We're attorneys. That's what we focus on. But you know, like I do, and I won't get too heady, but you have those four originalists, and then you have the other ones who mean intent. So like militia, for example, I I would think me as an attorney living in the state of Tennessee, I would think our modern-day militia is the Tennessee National Guard on, on our state level. Uh, I would agree with that. But but I think the argument comes in that some people try to make, and I think that's what you're about to get into, is technically if you're talking about a foreign invader, every man, woman, and child that has a firearm, we are the militia. The entire country well, is. Look at look at the Ukraine. The yeah. Ukraine's one of the few uh, provinces over there that, that their citizenship was uh, – there was no no restrictions or similar restrictions to what we have here in the U.S. where you could own a weapon as long as it wasn't an automatic. We'll, we'll get to that. But Ukraine, I, I bet you, I'm sure right now, they're very thankful that they had that in place. Um, and you remember we saw the video footage in Ukraine where there are literally army trucks. I think you and I were watching it. They rolled up outside and they were dropping crates off, handing you know, AR-16s to, to soccer moms. To whoever. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, so it, after the, after the second amendment came about, it was unquestioned for a while that kind of, um, that kind of gun ownership, it really did not become an issue. Well, then in 19, in the civil war, even when you had the North versus the South, after the North defeated the South, there was nobody saying, Hey, we need to take the guns away from Southerners so they don't rise up against us again. Uh, You didn't see a real question to this until 1939. So the St. Valentine's Day Massacre occurred in Chicago. That's where a bunch of people were gunned down with Tommy guns. Hang on one second. I'm getting a phone call. I'm I'm not working right now. Uh, So in 1939, folks were, or 1929, St. Valentine's Day, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That's a tongue twister. Uh, Several people were executed. I think it was seven individuals that had mob ties, but it was done with a Tommy gun. So what they did was they came out with this law uh, that prohibited the use of certain weapons. Uh, It was the National Firearms Act came out in 1934, and that said that you couldn't own a sawed-off shotgun, you couldn't own a machine gun, that as the general public, you didn't need access to, to that type of weaponry. Well, there were these two brothers that robbed a bank in, I think, St. Louis, and uh, they had sawed-off shotguns, and they challenged it, and it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. They said, we are being one of the things we're being charged with in robbing this bank is that we did it with these shotguns that were sawed off and in violation of this 1934 law. The, we should be able to own any type of weapon that we want. It says here that my right to own firearms cannot be infringed upon. And so the government in 1939 ruled on that. It was a landmark case. It was United States versus Miller, 
where they said it is okay for the for us to issue certain restrictions. We can't say that you can't own any gun, but we're not taking away your right to own a gun. We're taking away or we're limiting your ability to earn certain weapons. So we didn't really see any Supreme Court case law on that for quite a while. Uh, it was it was established that the court could, and we saw that it started doing that. You'd have to pay a tax stamp if you wanted to get a suppressor, if you wanted to um, own an automatic fire firearm. And then all these regulations started coming down. What do you need to have? A concealed carry permit. Uh, and one of the worst states in the nation was, well, or best states, depending upon what your position is. I'm obviously pro-Second Amendment. Um, one of the worst states in the nation has always been Washington, D.C. Their gun laws were just draconian at best. Um, and you had the District of Columbia versus Heller. Heller was a private individual. He was also kind of gunning for this. He was a scholar and a professor who was intentionally trying to kind of attack some of these Second Amendment uh, uh, methodology that we've, we've had up to this point. Well, he challenged the law because he wanted a gun in his home to protect himself. Uh, he didn't want it for any other reason than just private home protection. The court there hold that, held that the Second Amendment protects an individual's right to keep and bear arms, that that right existed prior to the formation of the new government under the con Constitution, uh, and that right was premised on the private use of arms for activities such as hunting and self-defense. So that 2008 Heller ruling really said, okay, you're... You, you're good to go. You can have a firearm. Uh, there may be certain restrictions, but you have a right to earn firearms. So what that case did, why that Heller case in 2008 was so important, it put to bed the first question that constitutional authors generally have, and that is, or constitutional scholars generally have, and that question, again, was, is owning a gun tied to being in the militia? Do you, must you be a militia member in order to have a gun? And it's amazing to me that we didn't have clear law on that until 2008. Now, the general public thinks that we had these rights before, and you may have, but they certainly weren't expanded on by the court. What they were, why we all think that we had this right is because the NRA just did a hell of a job in marketing and they had they had people convinced that the court had already said yeah you can own a firearm for for hunting or for self-defense but the court had never said that um, so this case clearly said you have a right to own a firearm even if you're not in the militia whoever you are you can own a gun well then most recently the it's the New York uh, what is it, the New York Rifle and Pistol Club of New York versus Bruin was a 2022 case. New York had gun laws that said you could have a concealed carry permit, but they were shutting down people. They were denying anybody that had 
applied for a concealed carry permit, they would say, you need to show us a special reason why you need a carry permit. So if you're a banker and you're having to transport money to and from the bank, maybe you can make an argument. Maybe we'll approve you having a concealed carry permit. Maybe we won't. Well, Mr. Bruin said, that's, that's, that's not right. I want, to own a, I want to own a rifle, or I want to own a firearm, and I need a concealed carry permit, and I don't understand why I can't. And the court ruled in his favor and said that the courts and the states can make certain limitations on owning a, a firearm, but it threw out a lot of the legislation, a lot of the laws that we have on firearm firearm ownership, where it basically said anybody can have one. Uh, if you if you have this permit, it's for some special reason. Uh, we can do background checks to make sure that you're not a domestic violence abuser, so on and so forth. All, all these things started being scrutinized by the public, by the courts, and by the states after these decisions came out. Because it basically made it the Wild West, where anybody could could have a gun, could carry a gun, could do what they wanted, and you couldn't put a law that showed why you needed a gun. It's just a right that, that you've got, that the Supreme Court of the United States has now clearly said you've got. But in clearly doing that, what they've done is created massive confusion. Now, when I talk about massive confusion, let me give you some examples, Scott. So the recent Supreme Court ruling has had this domino effect where these courts have recently declared federal laws designed to keep guns out of the hands of domestic abusers. Lower courts have declared those unconstitutional in light of the Bruin case. They've also said that felony defendants and people who use marijuana uh, their rights should not be abridged. Judges have shot down bans on, listen to this, possessing guns uh, with the serial numbers removed. And gun restrictions for young adults in Texas have been blocked for the enforcement of Delaware's bans on the possession of homemade ghost guns, which we talked about. So this Bruin thing has basically put everything up in the order, up in the air where you've got certain courts now saying, hey, this federal ban saying you can't own a firearm if it doesn't have uh, a serial number, that's not constitutional anymore. Now, I think that 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 won't stand up, Um, but that's kind of where we're at right now is there's a lot of misunderstanding and uncertainty, more so than we've had in the years past regarding the Second Amendment, and it's because of this Bruin decision where we don't understand how is this going to affect down into the law? If it's easy to get a concealed carry permit in New York now, how easy is it going to be in a place like Tennessee, Mississippi? Now, all this is obviously in the face of far too many shootings that we've seen uh, in high schools and public places here in Memphis. Uh, we obviously have a gun problem, and, and people are grappling with how to address it. So what's... Scott has kind of been looking into, uh, President Biden has signed an executive order, and we're going to kind of talk about that. But keep in mind, the Second Amendment says that the government cannot pass 
laws that will infringe upon our right to own guns. So what's what's Biden saying at this point, there, Scott? Well, I, I want to go back and touch talked about how confusing you know some law some things about gun ownership uh, or gun controversy has has different aspects of what confuses people. Let me give you an example. Castle Doctrine. Okay. So what is, for, for somebody that doesn't know, what's the Castle Doctrine? Uh, basically, your home is your castle. Right. You can defend your home, and recently by a Supreme Court decision, you can use deadly force to defend your home or an extension of your home um, with the use of deadly force. Usually that includes a firearm, but... I think that's extended well, to vehicles rec- now. Yeah, they've recently said the Castle Doctrine is going to extend over to your car. Yeah, because so many of us, we are a car-centric society. I mean, you look how cities are built, but that, that's a different point. Uh, but to go back to it, so you have something like the Castle Doctrine. It's pretty clear. I don't think anybody's worried about the use of deadly force nine times out of ten if somebody's breaking into your house with a baseball bat. Like the guy challenged it. I, I would I would go back and say uh, the D.C. guy yeah, he, he had a pretty good argument because he is the militia for his castle. That's right. Um, so I think he had some points there. Uh, but to, to bring you back up to date, now last year, the Biden administration put into place one set of gun law legislation that I think was bipartisan that was able to go through, but it's, it's all come back up in the wake of shooting. So on March 14th, the administration issued a a White House statement um, that talks about what the new executive order is going to do. So the difference is, is if they're not looking for legislation to be passed by as it typically would, he's going to try and institute an executive order because uh, the belief is that he is not going to find a friendly Congress, which means it would never pass. Um, and you gotta wonder why? Why? I mean, look, I, I'm 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 a Republican. I don't hide that. Uh, but you gotta wonder why the Democrats didn't just sew up this issue when they had control of the Senate, or when they had control of the House, and when there was only a one vote difference in the Senate. I'm I'm just trying to figure out why. Why wait now? Okay, so the. If you're going to me, if you're going to pass this type of meaningful legislation, where you are in the election cycle, you're halfway through a presidential, you're right off of a, a midterm. So you know we're just starting to hear about who all the candidates are. That's right, and we've and we've now flipped one house, so you don't have unilateral control. So I think it became an issue of well, we didn't get it done in the first two years. What can we do to please our voter base? So that when the next election rolls around, we've done everything we can do. And they took taking this action. Let me read just a couple of these bullet points that are actually on the white on the whitehouse.org yeah. website. This is what's kind of interesting because with any good politician, I, I feel like no matter which side you're on, somebody's always saying something without actually saying it. And and we'll get into that. So the first point they talk about is Increase the number of background checks by ensuring that all background checks required by law are conducted before firearm purchases. Moving the U.S. as close to a universal background check as possible without additional legislation. So that's basically, we're going to make sure the people that are required to check IDs are checking IDs. And, and we clearly do that. 
some of this stuff helps close like the uh, the gun show uh, loophole and things like that because it's going to require a certain statutory background to be able to have the federal firearms license. Yeah, so right now when I buy a firearm, when I buy a gun, I have to fill out a, a sheet. I have to swear and affirm some things. They send that in. They do a background check, make sure I'm, I'm eligible to own a weapon, and then, then I get the weapon. Now, if I'm buying it from an individual, I don't have to do all that. Um, and, and some of that, those are the issues that they're coming up with. Well, and, and the interesting thing is it goes on. And keep in mind, this is from the official statement from the White House. Specifically, the president is directing the attorney general, our boss, uh, to move the U.S. as close to universal background checks as possible without additional legislation by clarifying, as appropriate, the statutory definition of who is, quote-unquote, engaged in the business of dealing in firearms as updated by the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which is what they passed last year. So this is when you talk about the felons and the domestic abusers and all of that. That kicked in as a result of kind of what you're talking about last year, at least some of those measures. I'm just going to say this. I, I... it really concerns me when you start talking about felons owning firearms. And it, understandably, we have that issue. My problem with politics, you know me, I like consistency. So my thing becomes, okay, if we're going to require felons, or if we're going to say felons can't own firearms, what are we going to do about voting? Because that's a, that's a constitutional right too. So it, you've got a lot of that side of the aisle says, well, no, everybody should be able to vote, felon or not. But now you're saying, well, this is a constitutional right, but we don't think it is necessarily as important as this other one. So let's do it this way. Well, so let, let's talk yeah. real quick about uh, background checks. So the the here's the argument on it. Well, so, this is the red flag is the next point yeah, that, that talks about if you have like a pre-existing red flag, um, mental health issue, something like that, that it's got to be federally documented that would prohibits you or uh, domestic uh, abuse person something like that well and so that's the problem that that's the problem most gun owners have with background checks it's not that we think we've done anything wrong it's not that we think that we're nuts because we want to own guns and it's not that we're so paranoid we're worried about the government saying oh you've got guns it, it's the slippery slope effect so we we the Republicans or the NRA or the gun owners may be worried about nothing right now, but it's that down the line that you're worried about. So I don't care if Uncle Sam knows how many guns that I have. Uh, I, I have far too many, according to, to my wife. But I, I don't care if they know how many I've got. What I care about is these red flags. The government are the ones that get to put the red flags in place. Well, what if, what if one day they, and I'm going to use something, what if one day they say people that are left-handed, uh, it's a red flag. They have a statistically high probability of shooting people, so left-handed people can't earn, earn guns. Now, I'm using that as, as a really bad example because you'd never say left-handed people. The, the true concern is that it would be um, if you're uh, aligned with a certain political party, that would be a red flag. If you belong to a certain faith or club or social, uh, social club that, that 
that's a red flag. So the, the problem is not the background checks and keeping bad people from having guns. The problem is who sets the laws now or in the future that will establish what those red flags are. Well, and they're going to they're gonna be called extreme risk protection orders. And part of what the, the mandate reads is that uh, they'll be partnering, federal agency partnering with law enforcement, healthcare providers, educators, and other community leaders. Now, it, what you just said, that is a very good problem. Have you, I've never thought that this was a problem, at least enough to put on a White House press release, the next bullet point, and it's kind of tied in. Address the loss or theft of firearms during shipping. Now, the Bureau of Alcohol, uh, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives, ATF, their data indicates over a 250% increase in the number of firearms that were reported lost or stolen. So from the shipment from a licensed dealer to the recipient, uh, went up 250%. It went from roughly 1,700 shipments in 2018 to 6,100 shipments in 2022, which is very interesting because there's an election in the middle of there. So the, the Bible tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And what, what that means, what that proverb means is that uh, everything, everything we think we've seen, it's already happened at some point before. And even that, Scott, even the theft of firearms we've seen before, what happened during Prohibition? It became difficult to get alcohol. Only certain distillers who could manufacture um, uh, items under a federal license could produce alcohol content. Well, if there's only one pipeline and only one legal way to get it, as the laws tightened up on alcohol production, what you saw was individuals, sometimes company owners, sometimes the owners of the companies that had these distillers were involved. But what you had was coordinated hijacking and selling of these illegal substances to get them out on the black market to people who otherwise couldn't qualify Good. where they jack up the price. And that's what you're seeing with firearms now that we're strictening, now that they're trying to tighten up restrictions and since certain people can't have them, what, what Biden's referencing there are when these shipments of firearms are stolen and they're sold to individuals because they would, these individuals otherwise wouldn't qualify to own a firearm. Well, right. And look, so there's, there's three main points that this press release hits. Everything we just talked about was referenced keeping the guns out of the hands of the wrong people, pretty much. The, the next section goes on that it's holding the gun industry accountable. Yeah, this is, is this the marketing one? All right. Well, and, and based on what you just said, though, what's really interesting is I don't think their gripe is really with like organized crime, hijacking, you know, crates no. or anything. I think the problem is, is that you've got a lot of people and maybe I'm wrong, but you see a lot of people had a Republican administration. Now you've got a Democratic administration coming in 2020. And some of the maybe, you know, crazier end of the spectrum, the the, the more... I guess, radical, they say, oh, no, I don't want, like you said, I don't want anybody to know 
where my serial numbers are, what guns I have. Oh, these were stolen last year. Yeah. All these guns were stolen, I promise. Or grandpa's shotgun burned up in the house fire or whatever. I think that's what, this is maybe designed more on that and being able to, to give them a back end to be able well, to didn't, punish somebody. Well, didn't they make – so I'm, I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up, uh, you know, my heydays were the 90s. And I remember Camel Bucks and Joe Camel. I think that uh, one of the ways that the tobacco lobby was attacked was they said that the they were marketing directly to kids and and they started doing, doing fines against tobacco companies – because they said you're marketing towards kids. Didn't Biden reference that? Yeah, so in, in the first subsection, keeping the guns out of the hands, there's a whole bunch of bullet points. We barely touched on them. But then the holding the gun industry accountable, there's only three bullet points. And it, they're fairly short. The first one is, provide the public and policy policymakers with more information regarding federally licensed firearms dealers who are violating the law. So pretty much, they're making a list, they're checking it twice, and everybody's going to get to see it. So, um, uh, If you're a dealer that violates, you're going to show that you have a violation, so people will know that there's a citation against you, and there'll probably be some barrier or ceiling where if you get so many, you know, three, two strikes, you're out, three strikes, you're out, whatever it'll be, but it, it'll be something. That's very broad and very vague, but it says to, to the fullest extent possible permissible permissible by law expose atf records from the inspection of firearms dealers cited for violation of federal firearms laws with with all of it i I think that includes the advertising now like you were saying i think that goes to it's not only that that's the the public policy makers and provide the public with more information about it i think that's kind of leads over to we're going to put a different spin on, you know, uh, no smoking on TV they had for a while. You'll probably see no firearms in kids' hands or something, you know, on a TV show. Yeah, like they won't be able, a kid can't have, you would not have a Christmas story anymore where you can't have the Red Ryder BB gun in, in the kid's hand because that's glamorizing firearms. I mean, look, that's a BB gun. I don't know if I want to live in a world where you can't give a kid a BB gun. Well, so that's that. I'm I am keenly aware of my political stance on the issue that that I'm I'm an avid collector and I, I I like firearms, but I'm keenly aware that there's a second side to the argument. Uh, one thing, real quick, because I know we just talked about where you're going to jump to. We you talked about the advertising. The second bullet point is where it really gets interesting because you know they can't directly. Congress has the spending powers, but they're not going to get the votes there. So what authority does What do you mean they're not going to get the votes there? Okay, so you have a Congress now. You have a House that is Republican. Sure. Well, you'd have to get everything through all three branches uh, or all three three levels. So the bipartisan or bipartisan, the bicameral system down below, and then the executive would sign off on it. You're not going to get that in one of the branches, which means the House, which means it would never see it. So he's doing everything he can. Congress is in control of the spending powers, right? So he can't change how money's being divvied out. However, under executive authority, he is allowed to offer incentives or not. So the last bullet point talks about Department of Defense's acquisition of firearms to further firearm and public safety practices. Let me give you an example of what that means. 
hey, X gun manufacturer, we love the fact that you buy, you know, we buy $1.5 billion worth of firearms from you. And we'd love to continue that. And as long as you abide by these new public policy measures and you're going to do X, Y, Z and not advertise this way or do this, we'll continue, we'll, buying we'll, from we'll continue to send the check. But if you don't comply, that's We're not done. coming anymore. He is allowed to do that. And that's what they've done here. Well, I'm sure that it's going to be questioned in the Supreme Court. Uh, um, anytime you have an executive order that deals with the Second Amendment, uh, anytime you have any type of legislation, you're going to have you're going to have litigation. I remember litigation over the bump stocks. I remember litigations over the 16 round high cap clips. Well, I know, and I know we're running long. I want to touch this too. This is we can finish with the release after this. The last thing, because you talked about bump stocks. This is the most interesting aspect. We've talked about it before and always say you cannot put the genie back in the bottle. Okay, so the knowledge on how to make a projectile go down a tube at a high velocity, it's almost common knowledge to the point where 3D printers can make them. The last paragraph on this whole deal says, advance congressional efforts to prevent the proliferation of firearms undetectable by metal detectors, which also includes guns that would not have serial numbers. And we talked about it. Those are called ghost, ghost guns. Ghost guns. Yeah. So that that is a whole bullet. That is the third entire bullet point on its own. Apparently, that is enough of a concern that they're trying to figure out a way to regulate that. I don't know how you regulate that. This is what I said. I don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle because... If you get some guy that owns a machine shop and gets a solid cylinder of metal, a, a potato gun. Well, they already I mean, re- you think about it, they already regulated those. So you, you can't have a machine gun, you can't have a sawed-off shotgun, uh, you can't have a suppressor without uh, or a can without a uh, without a, a license or a tag. People can make those in their garage. They're regulated, and the regulation is. If we find out that you have it, you're going away, and you're going away. I think it's like 15 years. Yeah. Well, we talked about it earlier, though, that I kind of felt like politicians in general, they try to tell you something without actually saying the thing they're trying to tell you. The undetectable by metal detectors. It's funny you would put it that way when everybody really knows you mean these ghost guns that are being made by 3D printers in some cases, or at least the the lower mechanism that controls the fire rate or any of that. They're trying to make that illegal, but why wouldn't you say that? And it's because an executive order would not, under the phrasing, would not allow him to do it that way. But since he's doing the 3D printer, or not the 3D printer, it's a safety issue nationally. So he well, can, the, other, he can the other reason that you don't want to, you just want to call it a ghost gun and not a 3D printed gun, um, you you want to legislate that differently because we don't know what the manufacturing process can bring up. Yeah, and fi- interesting point on that, that law that governs that, the Undetectable Firearms Act of 1998, is set to expire in December of this year. So I. I think you're going to be hearing more about this in the Supreme in the Supreme Court. I think you're going to see questions on this. Look, I, we've got a gun problem in the United States. Gun violence is on the rise. We we see school shootings far too often. Uh, there's no doubt. Uh, I don't know what the answer is, uh, and and that's part of the issue is that you have these two ideas that are. Uh, so fervent in our minds. Number one, you have an inalienable right to own a gun. That's what your average everyday Joe's thinking. Uh, 
the second is, hey, we, we've got too much, too much shooting. We've got too many, uh, too many mass shootings, too much gun violence. We need to do something to rein in uh, this. And what we're seeing is governments grappling with those two because they're they're polar opposites. One, everybody should have everybody can have a gun. Number two, we got to protect the kids. And what we're seeing is folks struggling with how to re- resolve those two issues and and quite frankly, I haven't seen a good answer. I know that some common sense gun legislation needs to be put in place. I know that background checks need to be happen happening but at the same time there needs to be a limit on how far those background checks can go when it can be changed i'm i'm i don't mind having a background check on me i was going to tell you so i'm, I'm going to go with a, i'm going to go with a hot take all right it's usually something we don't we don't really do but i'm going to put a little bit of my personal belief kind of out there and give it to you am i okay with violent felons not having the right to buy a firearm sure yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. Let's do that. Am I okay with somebody saying, you don't need a Gatlin gun? Absolutely. Am I okay with somebody saying, you don't need a clip that can hold 25 rounds, but but you can have the same gun with that holds 10 rounds? Okay, I, I see the argument, but here's the real problem I have. You start... You have these things like uh, a particular brand of gun that creates a rifle out of a pistol. And you say, well, no no assault rifles. That's anything that's semi-automatic. Well, technically, a revolver is semi-automatic. I think part of the problem is there is a lack of education, but I think it's on everybody's part. There is. There's a definite lack of education. What's a rifle? What's a semi-auto rifle? What's an assault rifle? What's an AR? There, there are questions that, that people, that the general public just yeah, don't This understand. type of bullet, that type of bullet. I mean, and here's the thing. It, it doesn't necessarily matter, but if, I, I don't know how you put the genie back in the bottle, I think is my ultimate feeling on it. And if you can't put it back in the bottle, you shouldn't limit somebody's ability to protect themselves unless they've shown themselves unworthy of that responsibility. So throughout throughout the coming year, we think that you're going to see more uh, cases on this. And when you do, we're not going to go through all this history again. That's mm-hmm. kind of why we've done this today, to set ourselves up so when these cases keep coming, we can discuss them further. In the coming weeks, you're going to hear us talk more about the other amendments, some that you may not even know exist, some that have uh, have come and gone, but we're going to get into that and kind of help educate you on what your constitutional rights are as an American. Oh, that's some heady stuff. It'll constitutional law. It'll be constitutional law with Lawyer Bill and C. Scott. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, check us out on the web at lawyerbill.com. You can get us at the office at either 7615353 or at C.S. Jones. Either one of those numbers, call us up directly. I recently had to learn what it actually was, too. It's 2756637. Yeah, nobody's going to remember that. That's why you did C.S. C.S. Jones. C.S. Jones, yeah, I know. All right, we'll see you back here next week. Thanks for tuning in. Now back to some more Drake Digital.